God invites us this morning deeper into his presence and just because the music stopped, that invitation is still there. So God, I pray that we just follow you now as you invite us deeper into your presence, into an awareness of your presence. There may be people here who don't understand what I'm talking about and they've never had that experience of knowing that they're in your presence. But God, I pray that if that is the case, that God, that they will have had that experience this morning. And those of us that know what I'm talking about, but perhaps haven't felt that for a long time, God, may you come close to us this morning, I pray. May we just sense you, almost like your breath on our neck, almost like your touch on our shoulder, your voice in our ear, that we're in the presence of our God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Why don't you take your seats? You know, where, where we kind of got to there in, in, in that place of just being aware and sensing God's presence is really what I want to talk to you about a little bit this morning. I don't know whether you've um, ever thought about being in someone's presence that you'd really love to be in. So like, uh, you know, if somebody was to invite you into their presence and, and perhaps it was, you know, someone that you really wanted to be, oh, if only I could get an invite, you know, to be in the presence of this person. I don't know who that might be. Perhaps it's, I don't know, let's pick any old girl. The Queen. Uh, and so you, you're... <laughs> joke, 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 Your Majesty. Um, it's on the podcast. <laughs> to the tower, to the tower. Um, so, and, and if you had an invite into her presence, you'd be so excited, wouldn't you? You know, but perhaps you, you wouldn't be that excited about the Queen. But if it was a movie star, if it was a celebrity, if it was a, a famous inventor or a painter or an artist or a musician or a band, you know, backstage with the band... You know, and that would, and you'd be amazing, and you, you just think, oh, if only I could be invited into the presence of that people, that person, or those people, you'd be really excited. And I want to suggest that if you were invited into their presence, you'd probably go, you'd probably respond to the invite, wouldn't you? And a couple of months ago, I had an invite from someone uh, who's connected to this church, um, and he said, "Look, I've got a friend uh, who's uh, he actually works for an organisation that you're very passionate about." And he said, would you like to come and meet some of these people that you're very passionate about? So I had an invite to the Players' Lounge at the great and mighty Aston Villa FC. And, I, and I've made a new commitment going forward into, into August and September. I'm going to be more positive about the Villa than I have been the last couple of years. But that won't take much because I've been pretty suicidal over the Villa the last couple of years. But I had this invite to go and meet the players and so went into the Players' Lounge and, uh, and I, I responded totally. I, I, mean, I didn't have to pray about it or any of that. I just, I just knew that this invite was from the Lord uh, to me. Uh, so, so I went and here I am with uh, Brad Guzan, who looks remarkably like a, a, a guy that works for Phase Trust that used to head up Excel. Doesn't he look remarkably like them? That is Brad Guzan, our American goalkeeper. The next one, yeah, Andy Weiman, who's an Austrian international Scored quite a lot of important goals for us the last couple of seasons. And then this guy here, Shay Given, who's our goalkeeper and also Republic of Ireland international, very famous player. And I look like a kid in a candy shop, don't I? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, you know, and it's like, I met some of these guys and like, they're 19 and spotty, do you know what I mean? And like, they're these, they're these footballers, they get paid loads of amount of money and then I'm like this little excited kid. But I was invited into their presence, so I took up the invite. And actually, one of our staff members invited another staff member into his presence, into his office. And this other staff member was so excited that when Simon invited this person into his office, this was the result. 
Just such a beautiful scene there, isn't it? Of and Andy Hancock was so excited just to be invited into Andy's presence. There's a little bit of bromance in the office there for you. Um, but what I want you to think about is could God, could God, the creator of the universe, actually invite you and I into his presence? And if he did, would we go? You see, some of us this morning might think, well, you know, I've read bits of the first bit of the Bible, the Old Testament, where the presence of God sounds a little bit of a scary thing. Like there's fire and there's smoke and there was, you know, all kinds of things. In fact, it was so scary and so awesome. And of course, we've messed that word up, haven't we, awesome? Of what awesome really means, because not everything is awesome, as we said last week. But that word awesome, full of awe, and it was such a scary thing to go into the presence of God that in the temple system, in the Holy of Holies, which is the most sacred place, the priest would only go there one day a year. And on that one day, they tie a rope around his ankle so that if when he's in there doing the sacrificial thing that they do, he should die. Nobody else is going to go in and get him out because they're so scared of the presence of God. So they're going to pull him out by the rope attached to his feet. So you might have this idea that God's presence is like that. So how could God invite me into his presence? And if he did, would I want to go? Would I want to go? And the verse I want to show you this morning is so simple. And it's such an almost like, it sounds quite twee, but it's a life-changing verse for you, if you'll apply it. This verse will be like water that, if you apply it, will bring life to your soul when you need it the most. And here's the verse. It's from the book of James in the New Testament, and it's literally this. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. It's pretty simple, isn't it? You draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. Now, it sounds a little bit like cause and effect, I have to do this in order for God to do that. It's a little bit like, if you can remember back to dating, some of us, or those of you that might be, it's a little bit like, who's going to put the phone down first? Do you remember that? Okay, you put the phone down first, then I'll put the phone down, and all this kind of stuff. I just would go, all right, bang, gone. There we go. It's easy, you know. But, but, but this whole idea about, it's almost like I draw near to God, and then God draws near to me. It feels like cause and effect. It feels like I have to do this in order for God to do that. Don't be mistaken, God always takes the initiative. God always takes the initiative because God has put the invite out there. God has invited you to draw near to him. God wants you to draw near to him. God wants you, little old you, in his presence and he invites you into his presence. But this is how God works. He always takes the initiative. He invites. But then we have to respond so we draw near to God. Then God responds even more by drawing even nearer to us. And I've discovered that this verse could, is a life-changing verse when we apply it. Because there are moments in my life and in your life, if you're a follower of Jesus, where you don't feel close to his presence. Is that right? In fact, what you feel like sometimes is like you feel like this chair here. <laughs> I always pick the heaviest chairs to keep moving. Uh, uh, you feel like this chair here. And if that table over there represented the presence of God, you feel like you're a million miles away. Anyone know what I'm talking about? And yet God throws the invite out, draw near to me. I want you near to me. But we have to take the initiative. We have to draw near to him. And then he's always already on his way to us in amazing ways. And, and I want to look at this verse. And I want to look at it from a story in the Old Testament. Because I want to show you pictorially, visually, and from the Bible, just what God has done to, what, is, what the lens God has gone to, in order to draw you there. Because that's where he wants you to be. God wants you to be around his table with him in fellowship, in his presence. And yet so often that's where we are, miles away. 
Now, if you find yourself miles away, okay, from where you should be, who's moved? We have. And what happens that we get disconnected, we move, and then we can't almost hear that invitation to draw near to him. But he invites, we respond, he responds even more. And so in the Bible, in the, in, in the, in the Old Testament, in 2 Samuel chapter 9, there's an incredible story. I've said, I've preached on this many, many times, and some of you heard it before. It's my favorite Old Testament story. Some of you haven't heard it before. Hopefully, it will be new to you. Those of you who have heard it before, hopefully, it will be new to you again. A little bit of a backstory. Um, anyone heard of the guy called David? What was David famous for? Sling, killing. Talk to me this morning. Killing Goliath. Yeah, so David, young guy, King Saul, okay, Israelites against the Philistines. David comes forward, kills the giant, becomes a hero. King Saul gets threatened, gets jealous. A whole load of things happen over a whole load of years. And there's an, a war between King Saul and the house of Saul and the house of David. But here's the thing. Saul has a son called Jonathan, Prince Jonathan, who's, who becomes best friends with David. And then later on, Saul and his son Jonathan die on the battlefield. David becomes king, establishes his house as the king's house over all of Israel. And under the Old Testament and under the, the, the customs of the day... The rules there were such, if you were a conquering house or family or army, what you did was you killed all of your enemies. You wiped them all out. That's just how it happened in those days. And then David wakes up one day, this is some years later, and he says this in uh, 2 Samuel 9 verse 1. David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, we've got to understand this. The word kindness in the Hebrew is a word called hasid, which is best translated as grace. We have the word agape or agape, a Greek word in the New Testament. It's a very difficult word to translate. Grace is not what you say before meals. Okay, That's not what this is referring to. It's, it's literally, and this is the best definition I can think I, I've come up with, is this. Grace is the consistent, ever-faithful, relentless, constantly pursuing, lavish, extravagant, unrestrained, furious love of our Father God. It's quite a long definition. Okay? It's because it's difficult to translate. It's so deep what grace is. And David wakes up one day. Is there anyone in the house of my enemy that I can show grace to for Jonathan's sake? And, and then he goes on to say, so he says this. David asks, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba at your service? He replied. The king asked, Is there still is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan, he's lame in both feet. How did this son of Jonathan become lame in both feet? I hear you ask. 2 Samuel 4, verse 4, it says this, Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled, but as she hurried to leave, he fell and became disabled. His name, bit of a mouthful, was Mephibosheth. So I can imagine David saying, hang on, is there someone left in the house of my enemies that I can show kindness, not just for Jonathan's sake, but for God's sake, because he's shown kindness to me. And Ziba the servant says, well, there is this guy. He's the son of Jonathan. He's called Mephibosheth. But when the news came that Jonathan and his father, Saul, had died, they were so in fear because they knew that you, under the law, would come and kill them that the nurse picked him up and she ran and he fell and he became disabled in both feet. That was quite a stigma in that day. And you can imagine David saying, right, is there anyone else that I can show kindness to? Because that doesn't really fit. 
And, and then actually, not even that, but he lives in a place in a house called Makia, which, which literally means sold. And he lives in a place called Lodibar, which literally means barren or without pasture. So there's this guy, the grandson of Saul, the son of Jonathan, who's part of the enemy camp to David, who's disabled because of the fall, who lives in a house called Saul, in a place called barren and without pasture. And David says, I want to bring him to my table. I want to invite him to draw near to my presence. That's pretty amazing. In the context of the day, it's absolutely earth-shattering. So King David, verse 5, had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machias, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. He is frightened to death. He's frightened to death over what's going to happen to him. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied, don't be afraid, David said to him. Don't be afraid, because he knows that he is afraid. Don't be afraid, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always, listen to this, you will always eat at my table. Wow. And what David did is he said to Mephibosheth, this is where your seat is, in this place called barren, without pasture, in fear, and ostracized and cut off. But do you know what, Mephibosheth? What I want you to do is I want you to bring your seat right up to my table. And I want you to sit there with all of my other sons and daughters. And I want you to eat at my table in my presence. Now that's an amazing picture, isn't it? It's an amazing story. You might think, great story. Hollywood should make a film about that. This is not just the story of a guy called Mephibosheth. This is your story and my story. This is exactly what God has done for us. You see, justice for Mephibosheth meant death. Mercy would mean David would let him off. Grace would mean that he'd bring him to his table and treat him like one of his sons. That's exactly what God has done for you and I, isn't it? You see, once there was a time... (laughs) This got really exhausting at the first service. Once there was a time when actually you and I were a million miles away from God. But what God did in Jesus is he brought us close to him around his table, just like one of his other sons. In fact, I want to show you what it means for us as, as, as we look at this. You see, we were all born into royalty. You know that. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1 that we are made in the image of God. You might not feel that this morning. You might not have sprung out of your bed at 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning saying, you know, I am made in the image of God as you looked at yourself in the mirror. But that's the truth. There is not a person on planet earth that is not made in the image of God. We were born into royalty. But because of this thing that happened way, way back called the fall, okay, literally because of the fall, we're all now disadvantaged because of the fall. See, Mephibosheth was dropped physically and he was disadvantaged because of that. But actually we've had this spiritual fall when we rebelled against God as mankind. You might think, well, I haven't rebelled against God, but mankind has and we're part of that. And we're all part of that and we've all been disadvantaged because of that. We've all been ostracized and cut away from the presence of God. In fact, the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest Christians who's ever lived, he said in Romans 7, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Because actually death is part of what's happened because of the fall. And we all deserve justice. Not mercy, being let off, and definitely not grace. We all deserve justice. Again, Paul says there's no one righteous, not even one. But the good news this morning, ladies and gentlemen, we've all been invited by the King to come near to Him. Isn't that amazing? Even though we deserve justice, which was death and separation from God, we've all been invited to draw near. And here's the thing, and we are brought near by the work of the Spirit. 
See, when David said to his servant Ziba, go fetch Mephibosheth and bring him to me, Ziba is a picture of the Holy Spirit. You see, David, King David, is a picture of God saying, listen, I want, I want to bring these people close to me. He sends Ziba, the Holy Spirit, to Mephibosheth and he says, you know what, I'm going to bring you, Mephibosheth, all the way from barren, without pasture, disadvantaged, I'm going to bring you all the way to sit at my table. If you're a Christian this morning, you are only a Christian because of the work of the Spirit in your life. Do you know that? You responded to God's voice. You didn't know what it was at the time, maybe, but you responded and His Spirit has brought you around the table. I think that's incredible. Don't you? I think that's amazing. And some of you this morning, you might think, oh, that's never happened to me, but it could. And you may sense God speaking to you and you might not even know it is God, but you sense something's going on today. That's the work of the Spirit. If you will cooperate with Him and respond to Him, He will bring you into the presence of God. So we're all brought there by the Spirit and we all have a, a, we've all been offered a new address. You know, the Bible says in, in the book of Peter, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. You know, it's like your address used to be barrenness, but now you're banquet. It used to be prison, but now it's palace. It used to be sold, but now it's saved. You, 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 you've moved houses. You, you've changed location because of the work of the Spirit, because of what God has done in Jesus through the work of His Spirit. So now we all have a seat at the table, just like one of David's, the king's sons. Can you imagine on, on the day when, when they have breakfast the next day and, and David comes in and, and around the table are his sons, Absalom. He's the, he's the oldest son. He's a warrior guy, tall guy, good looking, long hair, muscly, a bit like myself, all that kind of thing. Maybe without the hair and the muscles and the good looking, but almost the same. Um, and, and then Solomon comes in and Solomon was the, the arty guy, the creative guy. He's probably reading books as he comes in, you know. And then there's all the others and the daughters and, the, and they sat there and think, hang on a minute, there's, a, there's an empty seat. There's still one more to come. And then they hear this little shuffling noise and this tentative, really fearful little guy hobbles in and his name's Mephibosheth and they all stand up and they pull out the seat and he comes and he sits in the seat. And here's the amazing thing. When they put him then under the table, you can't see the disfigurement. You can't see the disadvantage because he's just at the table, just like one of the other natural sons and daughters. And I look at myself as Mephibosheth and I've been disadvantaged because of the fall. But God, by his spirit, has brought me close and he sat me at the table in the presence of the king to enjoy all that he has. Isn't that exciting? But you know what happens (laughs) is that what you and I do is we disconnect and we pull away and we find our seat back over here when the invite of God is always draw near to me and I will draw near to you. So in the last five minutes, I want to just give you two thoughts to go away with this morning. If that's what God has done, why don't we experience it? I mean, are you like me? Have you ever felt, I don't feel God's presence close to me? Has anyone ever felt that? Or is it just me? And, you, and, and sometimes, and even, I mean, people like Mother Teresa went years and years and years saying, I never felt God's presence. She's like, how does that happen? I don't know how that happens. But I think for most of us in normal life, it happens a lot. And we know what God has done theologically, and we understand it in our head, but we don't experience it in our reality. Why don't we experience it? Because we don't apply simple verses like this. Draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. I've already invited you, says God, but if you just take a step, wham, I'm already on the way to you. So how do we draw near to God so that he draws near to us? Let me give you two simple thoughts. Number one, pull off the road. 
What do I mean? If you're driving away and you're driving fast, sometimes you've got to pull off the road and slow down and stop what you're doing in order to draw near to God. One day, a guy called Moses, who at this time is a shepherd, he loves God, um, but there's a whole lot of things have happened to him, don't worry about that. He's out tending the sheep one day and he walks past this bush which comes on fire and that often happens in the desert, but this one doesn't burn out, it keeps burning. And Moses stops and the Bible says in Exodus 3 verse 3 from the New King James Version, I will turn aside and see this great sight. In other words, I will pull off the road. I will turn aside and see this great sight. Here's the thing. What he's saying is this, I will pull off the road. I will draw near to see what's happening. And the Bible says when the Lord saw that he turned aside, he spoke to him from the bush. This is really important. When the Lord saw that he turned aside, then he spoke to him from the bush. Now, I've read this millions of times, okay? Perhaps not millions, but a lot. And I thought, you know, if that was me, in fact, I've thought a fresh thought about this. If that was me and the, and the, and the, the bush burnt, I'd probably say, because I'm a pretty conscientious person, hang on a minute, I'm looking after the sheep. I need to look after the sheep first. And when I've done my day's work and that's all finished and sorted, then I'll go and see what this bush thing is all about. But the Bible says, God initiated by setting the bush on fire. Moses then pulled off the road, turned aside, responded by drawing near. Then when he drew near, God spoke to him. And what God said to him not only changed his life and the, and the future of his nation, but it changed the whole planet. Wow. And yet we're so busy. We can't even put our phone down. We can't even switch off our TV. We can't even unplug the computer. We can't even stop shopping. We can't even stop. We are so busy, we are not pulling off the road. But when you pull off the road, it's amazing what God has got for you. So I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you this week, pull off the road. Do some of those things I just suggested. Pull off the road and say, God, you initiate this. Because this initiation, this invitation is open now to all of us all the time. It's not necessarily a burning bush kind of deal. God is always inviting you to draw near to his presence. The problem is we don't pull off the road. We don't stop long enough to turn aside. And when we turn aside, then he speaks. Is this making any sense at all? As I'm speaking, I'm thinking, this is really good stuff. Honestly. I know. I mean, if I was doing a response today, I would respond. I mean, this is really good. It's like, you initiate God, I respond, and then you respond more. That's amazing. It's so simple. And yet I don't do it. And what I've done in my own life recently, I think I've said this before, is that... Um, my dad passed away a few years ago, as, as many of you know, and, and he had this chair, favourite chair, and I've got that chair now, and we've had it uh, reupholstered, and so I put it right by the window, and that's the chair where I pull aside every morning, because I was finding myself like, like getting distracted and thinking, oh, I'll do it in the car, or I'll go out, and I'll do it in the office, and I'll, and I'll talk to God, and it wasn't happening, but now I go sit in that chair for a few minutes every morning, and I pull off the road. And, I, and the invitation drawn near to me is always there for God, but the problem isn't with God, the problem is with me. But when I turn aside, then God speaks. Well, you've got to pull off the road. But secondly, you've got to protect your hunger. You've got to protect your hunger. God has initiated and God is more passionate about his relationship with you than you are with him. And I really want this church to grow because I want to reach more people. Amen? But more than that, I want to make sure that all of us who are connecting are really connecting in a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. Because we can reach more people, but if we're not in a vibrant relationship with God, it doesn't mean anything. And there's an amazing verse from the NLT version in Exodus 34 verse 14. It says, He is a God who is passionate about His relationship with you. 
But I think one of our problems with this is we don't protect our hunger. David in Psalm 42 talks about hungering for God. He says a hunger and thirst after God. And he uses a little Hebrew word called remember, which literally means to retain thought. So what David says is this, I think about God all the time. And the more I think about God, the hungrier for God I get. See, the problem is that we all have a hunger, but we allow our hunger to be filled by other things. And when the hunger is filled by other things, and when we retain in thought those other things, we don't have a hunger for God because we're not thinking about God. Does that make sense? I mean, how many of you love Christmas lunch? Like, not today, because it feels really weird. But I mean, you love it. You love it. Yeah, it's great. And, 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 and like, when you're hungry, Christmas lunch is amazing. But have you ever seen that old sitcom, The Vicar of Dibley? Anyone ever seen that? If you're not English, I'm really sorry. It's a very English thing. But this vicar, Lady Vicar, Dawn French, uh, plays her. She, she goes to, to this new parish in the, the village of Dibley. And she gets invited out to lunch at Christmas, her first Christmas there. So she says, yes. Then someone else invites her and she says, yes. And lots of people invite her and she says, yes, 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 yes. And she goes and has like seven or eight big Christmas lunches. She's a big girl, but do you know what I mean? And she walks into the first one, she eats the whole lunch and she's full. Then she goes to the next one and she has to have another lunch and another lunch. And by the third or the fourth, the sight of Christmas lunch is like too much to bear. Do you know that feeling? Because she's full already. But here's the thought. If she hadn't eaten for days, if you hadn't eaten for days, do you know what? You are so hungry that even the sight of a pot noodle and you're like, give me some hot water. I want to eat this thing. Because you're so hungry. But I wonder whether us, and I'm speaking mostly to Christians, but also to those of you who wouldn't say that you're a follower of Jesus. I'm speaking to you who, who say you are. Is it true or could it be true that we are so full of other things that we've lost our hunger for God? See, I don't think that, 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 that most Christians like, are rebellious and, or don't want God. We're just casual. We're just indifferent. We've allowed other stuff to fill the hunger that should only be filled by God. Now, some of the other stuff is not wrong. Technology is not wrong. Shopping's not wrong. Holidays aren't wrong. TV's not wrong. Sports not wrong. None of that's wrong. The problem is when we allow those things to satisfy our hunger, that should only be satisfied by God. That's the problem. You know, 24 years ago, oh my goodness, 24 years ago, I went to Eastern Europe for the first time, 1990. Went to Bulgaria, went to Russia, just after the fall of communism. From 1990 to 1998, in Eastern Europe, especially in Bulgaria where I was involved, there was such an incredible move of God. I mean, the spiritual hunger was phenomenal. We would go out in the streets and we would speak about Jesus. They hadn't been out to do that for 50, 60 years. And hundreds of people would respond to Christ. We used to go and work with young people. And they were so hungry for God. They were 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, so hungry for God. I used to come back and, no disrespect, but look at our own young people in this nation and think, oh my goodness, these are like different creatures. These guys were so hungry for God. But do you know what's happened over the last six, seven or eight years? Their hunger has changed. Why has it changed? Because they've allowed themselves to get filled with all this other stuff that's now come into their country. So 20 years ago, there was no KFC, no McDonald's, no internet, no money. No ambition, no hot, none of these things. And none of these things are wrong. But what happened is that all these things are coming and they've allowed many of them for these things to fill their hunger that should have been filled by God. So if you want to stay hungry, you've got to protect your hunger. So let me give you a few examples and then we're going to pray. Limit yourself. Limit yourself to some of this stuff. You know, I've got some problems in these areas as well. I love the technology. I've got to limit myself. And you might think, well, 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 what are you talking about? Add up the time you spend 
on social media and see where your hunger is. Add up the time. People say to me, I haven't got time to pray and read my Bible. Add up the hours you spend on your jolly Xbox or in front of the TV or shopping or listening to music or whatever it is. None of those things are wrong. But limit yourself in order to protect your hunger. Take a Sabbath from some of those things in order to protect your hunger. Feed on what creates spiritual hunger. We all hunger for what we feed on, don't we? I'm trying to lose weight at the moment and some people offer me you know, nice things like cake and stuff and I have this little phrase that I say, no, my body's a temple, you know, like the Taj Mahal, you know, a really big temple. Um, uh, just as a bit of a joke, but I know that if I have it, I'll really like it and I'll want to have more of it. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Because we, we create hunger by what we feed on. So I've got to learn to change my taste and to feed on what I really am hungry for, which really is God. And then ensure your life is balanced. We're holistic people. Feed the play part of you. Feed the emotional part. Feed the intellectual part. But most of all, feed the spiritual part of who you are. Because God invites us this morning, ladies and gentlemen. God invites us to take our seat and to come up to the table. Because he invites us to draw near to him. And he will draw near to us. Maybe this morning that you identify with this seat sat over here. That perhaps you are a follower of Jesus and you've known what it is to sit there, but right now you feel really disconnected. I want to encourage you this morning, allow the Holy Spirit, allow the Holy Spirit to work and you draw near to him. As he works in you and draws you, you allow him to bring you close to the table. And then as you sit around the table and enjoy the presence of God, feed on who he is and what he's got for you today. I'm going to invite the band to come back and in a moment we're going to take communion. And uh, the bread that's here was broken and we break it and we eat it and this represents the body of Jesus. See, this is ultimately how God has brought us to him, isn't it? See, we, we were born into royalty, but we were disadvantaged because of the fall and we couldn't get our way back to God. So God sent Jesus and then the work of the Holy Spirit is appropriating that work into our lives. And so we're going to eat this morning to remind ourselves of the body of Jesus that was broken. We're going to drink the juice that speaks of the blood of Jesus that wasn't spilt accidentally, but shed deliberately so that you and I could be drawn close to him. So let me pray for you. Father, thank you this morning that you are an amazing God. Lord, you've invited us every single day of our life to draw near to you and you will draw near to us. So God, I pray that we would take you up on that offer. And Lord, that this week, we'd pull off the road a few times we'd slow down we'd give you our attention we'd draw near to you and Lord please help us protect our hunger so that we're not filled with the things of this world we enjoy those things we use those things we, that's great but we're not filled by those because we're not destined for that you set eternity in the hearts of men and it's only eternal things that can really satisfy that hunger so God help us to pull off the road and please help protect our hunger. But God, we need to do something with that. And God, I pray that even this morning, we begin those steps right now. If there are those of us here in this room and we've allowed ourselves to get disconnected from your presence, God, we want to come back. God, would you, by your spirit, would you pull us home? Draw us home today around the table, enjoying your presence and fellowship with you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.